Hello and welcome to another unedited, unscripted, unprofessional podcast, the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. I am so happy to be here in your ear or ears if you're listening with multiple devices uh, or, or ear, earpieces that you have that is streaming this right to you. I wanted to start off by sharing a story that happened to me on Cholmite Pesach. So first of all, friends came over to our house. Those are things we like to do. There's no money involved with that. In fact, sometimes we'll charge a, you know, a head cover if they're coming with a bunch of kids and there's just a usage of paper cutlery and, and paper towels. So it was Pesach. We go outside to use the pool. And I'm feeling uh, that sensation that is referred to as rain. So it is starting to rain. Problem is I run back into my house, I check my phone to validate whether or not it's raining, but the weather app is showing that there is no rain going on in Hallandale, which at that point, I'm left with a serious dilemma. On the one hand, it is raining and, and the drops on the pool are showing that rain is indeed happening. On the other hand, I'm just me, and Apple is a massive company, and I have a 10-year-old iPhone showing that it's not raining right now. So the question is, like, who do, who do you trust? Apple is a multi-billion, trillion-dollar company. And just me, you know, I'm not a weather person or a meteorologist. Who do you go with? Next, I want to talk about for a second, uh, I had the opportunity to do stand-up comedy uh, at Open Mic at Dania Improv. And... It was lots of fun. A uh, bunch of my friends and family came out. Thank you for the people who showed up. And for the people who said they were going to come and they didn't end up showing up, I don't believe any of the excuses that you're giving me because at the end of the day, this was a, a very big priority for me. And you really should have been there. So uh, it was lots of fun inviting uh, my friends there. Some of my, my friends from Shul had issues because I told them that the the comedy club had a two drink minimum and I think they misunderstood maybe from yeshiva but they thought it was a two drink maximum and I assured them no you can buy as, as many drinks as you want here the alcohol is flowing there they'd be very happy for you to get it now it was lots of fun in true social media style my sister's helping me release the six or seven minute worth of stand-up that I did, and we're chopping it down into six second increments. So uh, within the next two or three years, you'll be able to get that full uh, six minutes. Uh, so it's about six minute, six seconds worth of jokes and about 30, 40 seconds uh, with pleas and requests to sign up for all my social channels. So yeah, look forward to those, those reels going live. Now, was I nervous doing the stand-up? Actually, not really. The only thing that was making me nervous was people from Shul and from the community saying, hey, we, we booked tickets, we're coming, it better be good. And one person, the same person, um, told me, hey, you know, my husband was supposed to be in Orlando today for a business decision that will impact our lives positively forever, but we're cho choosing to stay here and watch your comedy show. So those six or seven minutes better be solid. Also, the same person told me that there is an Omer Adam concert that was supposed to be that evening. And that was another thing that they're not doing because of me. So we went there. Obviously, uh, it, it was a tremendous amount of fun. And I want to talk about a little bit the after party because when you're doing stand-up in a strip mall in Florida and getting paid no money to do it after you know practicing for a few days, what you absolutely must do is go celebrate at another strip mall and spend a couple hundred dollars at a, at a Fleischick Steakhouse, which is essentially what we did. We were celebrating... Uh, this non-revenue generating uh, peak or goal that we had achieved. Uh, now, the 
next thing I want to get into is I had the fortunate opportunity to be the Gabai in Shoal, guest Gabai, secondhand Gabai, for my brother-in-law was out of town. So I was the de facto rabbi, Gabai, sorry. Now, during the time when I was Gabai, I made the starting discovery, not that there's talking in Shoal, that was an obvious thing, but what I really honed into is the reason why there is actually talking in Shoal. It has nothing to do with the real estate market, the stock market, the Kiddush Club, or anything like that. At the root cause of the talking is the bookshelves. Because what the bookshelves do is it provides an opportunity for people to come in, lean their arm on the bookshelves, and if you're leaning your arm on the bookshelf, what you're going to do with somebody else is on the other side, leaning his arm on the bookshelf, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to lead to a conversation. And the bookshelves have a lot of different shelves, so it enables lots of different people from different heights. We have shorter people, taller people, and they just hang out and congregate around the bookshelf. Now, when there's a regular conversation happening, you could kind, you could, you can, you know, shush them, shush the fear into them, and it'll get quiet and chill. But when there's the bookshelf, that this is just uh, such a strong element and force of talking that there's really not much to do, and so. To blame the people from the shul, that's not the right thing to do. They came to shul hoping to daven. But the bookshelf opportunity really is what sets the entrapment for them to get caught in a conversation, which re they didn't even realize that they wanted to be talking. But again, the bookshelves will do that to somebody. And for those who think this is a complete parody, if you go into 770, you know that the place where there is the most talking is that little short, you know, that little um, very low ceiling. And guess what's there? A bunch of bookshelves. And so what I'm suggesting for all the shluchim and rabbis and rabbinites who are listening to this podcast is if you want quiet and shul, the bookshelves just have to go. Now, the question is, where do the books go? So you put the books, you stack them on the table, and it actually has a double benefit. One, there's no bookshelves. And now two... There is a stack of books in front of everybody's face so nobody can see the next table. And that also will eliminate some of the talking in Shul. And lest anybody accuse me of being a zealot, I am not a zealot. So I'm not saying this is a hard and fast rule, there should be no talking in Shul. What I'm saying is, as a general rule, during talking, during Shul, sorry, there should not be any talking, with the exception if people are talking about the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. If people are talking about the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast, then one is not only permitted to, but actually encouraged to talk about it and share the knowledge and the information that you're getting uh, from this wonderful podcast. I actually was a Gabai in a previous lifetime when I lived in Seattle, and it is definitely a thankless job for many reasons. I only had to make one phone call apology during my two-year tenure, and even though it was just one, uh, the enormity of the reason why I was apologizing really made up for the fact that it was just one. It was really heavy. And uh, if you come over to me in middle of shul and tell me, hey, I heard your podcast, tell me what that story is, maybe I'll tell it to you because it is during shul, but at the same time, it is something related to the podcast. Now, uh, one of the ways I would stay sane while being Gabai is I would say the same jokes week after week, which I'm going to share here. These are lines that you can use in your Gabai life and say them, you know, ad nauseum until they ask somebody else to be the Gabai. So the first thing is, when it came time for Mishaberachs, I would always do the Mishaberachs for the women first. And because this is an Orthodox show where the women are locked up upstairs in the women's section. Uh, so I would say, we're going to do the Mishmerachs first for the women because this is a very progressive show. And that's why we're doing for the women first. Now, if any woman is up there who uh, we have uh, chained to a table because we're so progressive, if she could mouth the name, we will take it from that person up and then we will mention it 
at the Bima. The second thing is, I would always announce the Aliyah. It's very important to announce which Aliyah it is. So I would always say, you know, if it's the third Aliyah, I said, this is the third Aliyah, which comes immediately following the second Aliyah and will always precede the fourth Aliyah because we are going in the correct order of the Aliyah. So we're not going to go, hey, now is the third Aliyah, which comes after the first Aliyah, and then get back to the second one. We want to keep it in the chronological order of the way the Aliyahs are being counted. The final thing I would always do is I would always announce the page, but instead of announcing the page in the Chumash, I would say for those of you who are listening to the reading of the Torah, but are following along in their own personal Torah scroll, which they bought to Shul, it's approximately column 167, unless you had a different scribe who would do it, and then you're on your own because who are you to bring your own secretary to Shul to follow along Kriya? You can listen like everybody else from a Chumash. Now you have to figure out which scroll exactly that works. Now for something that really gets under my skin and just swims around inside my body because there's an expression, get under your skin, but that's nothing wrong if it kind of just stays there. So sometimes or every time, especially in today's world where you call a company to actually speak to somebody, uh, it's a daunting task. And the ones that are a little more organized, they have the system where it says, hey, listen, you know, it could take you three hours to get a hold of somebody. Leave your phone number and we will call you back when there is an available agent. So you leave your phone number, you say your name in a recording, and finally the time comes, you're holding your phone for dear life, the, the call come in, call comes in. And there's an automated message that says, this is a callback for Shmuel. Please wait while we connect you with an agent. What? Wasn't the whole reason for me to give a callback number because an agent is going to be available? What do you mean you're going to go wait now to get me an agent? I This is a callback. I want the agent calling me back, not the machine calling me back. I, I want to get to be like, hey, this is a human being calling you back. But now they're running around the building going, hey, 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 we have somebody on the callback number. Could somebody please take the call? No, I just gave you my number and I said my name in a recording. So that should mean when I get the call, it's like, hello, we're calling you back. Not wait, because now we have to connect it with somebody. I am hoping that with God's help, the world can get just get back to being a normal place. Can we just go back to lives the way they used to be? Here's what I mean. We have a couple of simchas coming up, which for some of them I'm very excited because I have no intention in showing up and it's just going to pass by like, like nothing ever happened. And if I see these family members later on, I'll be like, hey, Mazel Tov, there was a simcha. But some of these simchas I actually have to go to, which involves a lot. It has to be putting on dress shoes, tying them, and especially the travel. Don't even get me to start on the travel. I wish things could just go back to they were the way they were when the world was much more normal during COVID. People were having simchas. They would tell you about it. There was a time where there would be a Zoom and some relative would be standing there with their phone and recording it. You could be at home, tuning in. You come for the beginning. You kind of walk on your house. You put it on mute. You turn the camera off. Such a nice, easy life. And nobody actually expected you to show up, to smile, and worst thing yet to actually bring a gift because it's locked down, you're remote, you're just not, things are not really working supply chain. And now that things are crazy again, I'm just hoping, again, we can go, get back to normalcy. And, and for those of you who say normalcy, go say it. It, it doesn't, it's not, there's no skin off my back if I say normalcy and you say normalcy. Before we, we get to the end of this portion, 
you know, this week my child was talking to me about school and what I tried very much to do when my kids talked to me about not liking something about school is I tried to just tune them out by sharing with them stories about how it was when we were growing up and kids in school so they would hear the craziness that would go on in our days and maybe feel a little better, bit better about what they're going through. So for example, my child's complaining he has to write too much in class. So I was reminded of a teacher who used to look in a book. He used to write it all down on a blackboard so that we would have to transcribe what he's transcribing from his book onto the blackboard. And then we would have to write that down. They could have just copied the book and give us copies. Nope. This is a much more uh, inefficient way to do it. Then he'd go across the classroom, fill up the second blackboard, go back to the first one, erase it, you know, five or six times. And my friend, when I asked him if he remembered this teacher, he reminded me that our school used to have a principal teacher, uh, not a principal, a substitute teacher. Now, this substitute teacher was so unique in his way of discipline because if a kid was not behaving, you know, he didn't scream, he didn't yell, he didn't send you to a principal's office. This was a man of, of you know, an upstanding citizen teacher. Didn't even lose his cool. Basically, what we do is he tell you to put your fingers in the desk drawer of the teacher's desk, and then he would quickly slam the door shut or the drawer shut on the fingers. Now, most kids, thank gosh, have the instinct to pull their fingers out of the drawer before they're getting their fingers sliced off. And the, the, the reason why this is such a great memory is because, number one, like people, you know, you never know which teacher will make an impact on you in your life. And clearly this teacher had an impact on a lot of people because we all remember uh, the situation. The next thing is I find teachers teach things that are so abstract, like things that you're never going to have to do in your life. Math, reading, writing, davening. Who, who needs any of that? What you need when you're going out to the real world is you need instinct, common sense, um, uh, you know, a little bit of street fighting. And so this skill where, again, it comes across as a disciplinarian act, but really underneath that is just, again, a, a great teaching for the kids. Hey, your, your fingers are going to get chopped off. You got to pull them out. He didn't give you instructions, I guess, because he wants to teach you that you should come up with it on your own. And led me to the next idea that I think this substitute teacher in conjunction either with the school or maybe with some of the kids who went through the class is we can create a great iPhone game, which is called Substitute Teacher. And the game works kind of like it works in class. Uh, you have, a, a, you know, in the game, you put your fingers in a drawer and whoever's left with fingers by the end of the game wins the round because they, they, they just won the round. Now, following what I'm about to say, we're going to have an interview on the podcast. So I'm going to be talking to a, a person by the name of Aaron Balcony, and he is, uh, does extraction of cannabis plants and makes them into edibles. The reason why I have him on the podcast is because I tried to get thousands of other people. Nobody else uh, agreed to be on the podcast. So there was one guy I found and who was willing because probably never listened to this podcast. So that's that's primar primarily why he's on the podcast. The second thing is uh, this was a question that I got asked by somebody, a listener of the podcast, who said, what are your thoughts on edibles? And so for me to be able to have somebody who is from talk about kosher edibles is, is a big win for the Schmuel 10 Hours podcast, for the city of Hallandale, and I would think for the county that we live in, which is Broward County. Uh, I also want to just have a disclaimer here that I do not uh, condone the use of drugs. And a lot of people take cannabis for medical reasons and have a medical card. Some people will have a medical card just to be able to buy their friends for recreational purposes. And I also applaud such people. But like I was saying, if you are struggling with drugs and you find that they are being very disruptive to your life, 
what I would like to encourage you is to take all the drugs that you have in your house, put it in a paper bag, and when you see me at Shul, just give it to me and I will make sure to dispose of it in a way where we are not violating Baal Tashchus. I'm not going to throw it out. It, it will get used by either myself or somebody else. And drugs are definitely a, a big problem in this country, particularly people who don't have access to them. Like, Or if somebody has somebody that they were getting drugs from in the past and they live like in North Miami and have to make a long delivery to that person or you have to go pick it up because that person has kids, it's a big problem as you can see. Um, anyways... Enjoy the interview, and we will be back next week, God willing, for more podcasting. Hello, and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus Podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus of the Shmuel Tenenhaus Podcast. And with me in my imaginary studio is my friend, the scholar, either Rabbi or Aaron Balcony. Please say hello. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Thank you, Shmuley, for having me on this uh, podcast. My pleasure. And I would encourage you to sit a little closer to the microphone so that yes, everything sir. is loud and clear and you come across like a lion. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> sir, thank you. yes, sir. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, the reason why I wanted to have you on, uh, amongst many things, is uh, you have a very unique story, which you said is too long to tell for a single podcast. <laughs> And uh, you, you do something very interesting for work. So in a nutshell, if you can tell me, what is it that you do for work? Currently, I am in the extraction and manufacturing of cannabis edibles industry. Excellent. Space. And these edibles that you make, mm-hmm. do they happen to be kosher? They are indeed kosher. They're under rabbinical supervision. Okay. I saw um, which in which states are your products sold in stores. So, in terms of, in terms of uh, marijuana products, I mean we sell only in states that are legal. I'm currently only in California. Um, and California is a large state. A very large state, a very very populous state. Um, for CBD and for Delta Eight products, we're, we we have. Customers in New York, all over the United States, South Africa. Okay, very cool. And when they're purchasing stuff that are CBD and Delta 8, where and how are they buying it from you? Generally online or word of mouth or social media. Okay, cool. But the purchases are happening over the internet? Over the internet mainly, yeah, for those things. I mean, obviously we can't really sell, you know, THC marijuana products you know, on the internet because... It's illegal. Uh, it's illegal. Okay. That, that's a very good reason to not do something. Yes. Um, what is the name of your brand or brands that you sell under? So currently, um, the brand that's to market in, um, in the marijuana field, in the mar- marijuana area, is um, it's called Edibles for Dummies. Okay. Um, we are powered by Olive Cultivation. Very good friend of mine has a, an amazing grow out in the desert. Everything's done there in California. In California and right? in, in Palm Springs, Desert Hot Springs. Um, it's seed to packaging to shelf, um, all done there in the desert. Okay, very cool. And who is it? Are you involved with the Ashkacha process as well, or do you have another Mashkiach who's there? Um, well, for our products, uh, there, there's a general mashkiach who's there who um, who has checked it out and checked all the ingredients and done the whole process. He's very well-known hechsher out in, in the West Coast. What's his name? His name is Rabbi Zirkin. Does he get paid in edibles? Uh, no. Uh, not as far as I know. Did you offer him that, that exchange? What is the exchange rate? Um, the barter system is alive and kicking. <laughs> okay. That's good to hear, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, thank God. Thank God for that. I mean, it's good for things like, you know, renting cars. <laughs> okay, that's good to so, know. Um, and and we, we just, that's our brand out in the desert. Uh, we do white labeling. I mean, we. Uh, our family operation does white labeling um, for other companies that are selling kosher CBD products. Uh, kosher CBD out in New York. Um I don't know the name of the place out in South Africa. I just make the products. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's 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 a whole different operation. Where we're, I mean, my main focus right now is out in California, edibles for dummies, 
um, developing that. We're doing a couple unique things um, in terms of that, if I can say a few words about yeah, it. Yeah, please do. So the first and foremost thing, I mean, apart, I mean, Kashrut is nice and it's good for a lot of people. Thank God for many customers, they have that availability now. But we're doing something that's unique because we're using whole plant extract. Um, in the edibles industry, in the vape industry, um, the, the, the active ingredient is generally distillate, taken from distillate. And of that distillate, which is, let's say, 94 to 96% purity, you know, is great, but that's all it is is Delta-9 THC. There's nothing else in it. You, you have um, chemists and labs who will re-engineer it, and they'll, may, they'll put the, you know, customized terpenes, and they'll put customized other cannabinoids inside. Um, and what the industry is coming to realize is that the, um, the, the Rick Simpson oil, so to speak, you know, the, the whole plant extract, that comes out is actually way, way better in terms of quality, in terms of nutraceutical benefits, in terms of taste, in terms of overall effect, the whole entourage effect that everyone goes on about. You only get that really, truly with whole plant extract. And that's what we're doing. We have a unique process. We use Tamesium extraction. Um, Tamesium is uh, accompanied by a, a friend of mine out in Colorado. He developed a really interesting um, extraction system. It's not just for marijuana. I mean. He extracted vanilla beans and he showed me five different flavors of vanilla from the same beans. I mean, wild stuff. How long have you been in this industry or vertical? Um, I've been in the extraction industry from the chemistry side and from that sort of side for almost 10 years already. Wow. Um, and where did you get the extraction knowledge? Was it Shiralif, Shirbez? Where did you get that from? I, I went to the guy who invented the actual system okay. and spent a week in his house and apprenticed with him, lived in his house. Shimush. Saw, uh, shimush, yeah, Mama Shimush. is like real, real smicha. Okay, wow. They bring in Maris, then you can look at it, say this is a yeah, good, no, strong it was, it, was, it, was only, it, was, it was only himself and myself and his wife and kid. Okay. And li li like we were at in, in, in Monument, Colorado. Yeah, how is it like working in a space with marijuana when you personally detest mar marijuana? Oh, detest is a very strong word. <laughs> I'm just word. joking. <laughs> detest just, is a strong word. I'm, oh. just, I'm just messing with you. Um, you know, you have two types of stoners. You have those stoners who are basically like, oh, man, you know, and sit on the couch all day. And you have high-functioning stoners. And, I, you know, I've been involved with cannabis since college, yep. you know, and... I had a couple-year hiatus when my wife said she would not stay anywhere near me if I ever did this ever again until we moved to England. And then the whole game changed. Why? Why? What happened in England? Tell uh, me more. Uh, dude, I was, I was a rabbi in England for like 11 years of a, of a shul, a United Synagogue shul, and I was the director of Jewish education for the King David school system. And the way it works is, the way it works in England is you have what's called the, um, the local education authority, which allocates money to the schools. And we had in the King David 99% of the Jewish kids in Liverpool, and that made up about 40% of the school's population. The rest were goyim and whatever, non-Jews. And it worked out very well. It was great. But about three years into my gig there, and we were there again for 11 years, um, I, uh, I started giving shiurim, like classes, for, for the high school students and whatever. And then eventually that evolved into a get high with the rabbi Thursday nights where we would sit and learn oh, a sicha. We'd learn a sicha and we'd pass that pass that pipe around, man. And I have one, today one kid's a shliach in, uh, in England, in London. Um, all of them married Jewish. It was uh, they, they ever heard the expression, um, burn and learn or learn and burn? Learn and burn. No, they, they just got, they, they came up with get high with the rabbi because they felt rejuvenated. Okay, so know. then basically you went back to your wife and said, you know, I have to do this for my job right now. And she said, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and, Twist uh, my arm. Any more hiatuses since then or you've been None. Uh, going strong? Going strong. Okay. By the way, when you came into the office, I saw you uh, learning uh, Saita. Yeah. And uh, I've also seen you in, in the Shulbel Harbor, kind of in the library there, learning Chassidus in the back, too. And so uh, I know that's very much part of your regimen as well. Listen, you know, many, many years ago, probably close to, to, to 40 years ago, um, I wrote a letter to the Rebbe um, because I was, I was a Bachar in Yeshiva. I was in the Sifta still. And... The Rebbe wrote me back an answer. This was in Memdalad. What's Memdalad? 84. 84. So almost 40 years ago. 80, almost 40 years ago. Um, and the Rebbe said that 
learning learning chitas and Rambam is negayet shalom bias. This is before you were married. It was even before I was married. Wow. So, you know, it's been probably. I'm I'm pretty consistent with with chitas. And By the way, uh, for Rambam, three prakim or parakim? One. I know my limitations. Okay. Uh, you know, I got to be realistic. Okay. Okay. You're, okay. But you know, good. I mean, our rebbeim in, in Chabad have given us a lot of direction. You know, I mean, Hasidus is like air. You know, like the, it says that the, the the ocean is called the the world that's covered, a, a hidden world. Right, and the reason why you don't have to do shchita for fish and these sorts of things is because they themselves come from the water; they're in their environment. Right, we're, we're, our environment is chasidus. If we don't have chasidus, we're like fish out of water. Okay, um, talk to me about Shabbos party. I don't know if you mentioned that, but that's a brand too, right? I saw in one of the packaging. Shabbos party is like sort of a on the down low, not so. Um, it's very creative. It's a creative way of securing a. Very Shabbat Shalom. Okay, but is that is that, is that available for retail? It's more like a joke that you kind of have. It's. I mean, I, I suppose until until the um, the landscape changes in the industry in Florida, that's going to be kind of a parody on certain things. Okay, and is that available in California or also not? No, that's okay. that's a Florida thing. Okay, that's a very cool. I thought it's kind of a homemade packaging. And yeah, yeah, all fun like that. Um, okay, so. Uh, I'm curious about, there, there's, you know, in addition to the recreational aspect, of it, there's a big medical piece to it too. Right. Do you ever get anecdotes from people on the medical side Absolutely. who want something kosher for um, for whatever they're going through? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you like this. Finish you. Yeah, I'm sorry that, for interrupting. That's, that's my question. I would love to hear any anecdotes that I you mean, have just it, in terms of the it's health. Just, it's interesting because, in fact, I, I do a certain product that, um, after a lot of research, I mean, this is not just oh, I like to extract and the chemistry is interesting. I mean, it's there's a lot of a lot of stuff to know about this, and it's shocking how many people in the industry know very little about the actual plant and the cannabinoids and the terpenes and how they work together and how it all. So I've done a lot of research, and you know, I, I messed around with using whole plant extract and other types of distillates like CBG, which is cannabigerol, which has been known to be effective in fighting um, cancerous tumors. Um, and I've, you know, this is again not sanctioned by any FDA or anything that has been very effective in people with, with that illness. Um, the, this product has been useful. It's an, it's an edible product. It's been useful in anything from nervous leg syndrome to insomnia, um, appetite suppressant, appetite stimulant. Um, it's, it's very, very diverse in terms of its nutraceutical and health benefits for a person. Has anybody ever contacted you for edibles for treating anything yes. in children? Uh, yes. For what type of conditions? Autism. Autism. And do they do they see good results from it? It's you know because it was it was it was quite some time ago and actually the, the one of the parents the mother is is a physician, so she you know she did her research and everything and unfortunately I mean well fortunately for her she has a good fortune to have a child with autism. And she's an amazing mother, and she, she wants to do the best for her kid. And she did the research, so we tried it. And it's hard to get a, the, the, the child to take it. He's, he's, he, I think he's like 12. Okay, so, you know, if they take it, it's found to be effective. Is it a CBD or a THC? No, that was a THC. Wow. And effective in which way? Um, for providing a little bit more focus. Okay. A little bit more focused because, I mean, they're obviously in the autism spectrum disorder. There's a lot of variation. I mean, it's a wide spectrum. Um, but it has the things that, that, that generally people read about, they see that it's effective. And, and, and I don't really, I mean, most of my customers for, the, for this type of product are Jewish. Um, and they do want kosher. And they would prefer to pay a little bit more than to go into a dispensary and get something which probably, you know, it's a 50-50 shot that you'll get something that's going to be effective. Yeah, or that's going to be, I mean, I would assume most candies you're buying off the shelf without a hechsher are not going to be kosher because they probably have, or not probably, but there's there's always possibility that they'll use non-kosher related stuff. In For it. sure. 
For sure, whether it's coloring or flavoring or even the the equipment they had that, that has been used for other products that haven't been checked. Or know. just bacon bits. Or just bacon bits. Bacon <laughs> bits actually are kosher. If you can get, you can get par of ones from Betty Crocker. Yeah, those are pretty. There's fake. There's, those are called fake and bits. Bacon bits, yeah. Any like, have you seen in the landscape anywhere where any kiddish clubs are pivoting from mashka? to cannabis crazy you don't even know i mean it's a wild thing i've noticed that's a great tell question. me more so so i have two s- lists of questions the good ones and the great one that was my that, great that, that's a question. great question um what i've noticed is and i live in a community that has ha- a rep- has had a reputation for having a huge drinking culture kiddish Which, clubs and whatever those who know me know me and they know where i daven and they know uh, okay um and over the last probably... By the way, for uh, premium subscribers to the podcast, uh, we will tell you, obviously, which shul it is and give you the address. But that's just for premium subscribers only. <laughs> Shabbosparty.com. Yeah. Um, so what I've noticed over the last five years is outside of shul, people have started to get more involved with other substances, meaning marijuana or some types of psychedelics. Um, over the last few years um, in a very controlled, mature, responsible way. Um, and you'll always have in shul the drinkers. And once you have a kiddish club, it's, there's always going to be a kiddish club. But instead of having 40 people jammed into a closet, you know, guzzling down bottles of liquor, you have guys that come in, you have 20 guys in the closet, and those other 20 guys are sitting at their place looking at their sitter trying to figure out where they're supposed to start. You know what I mean? Because they took a couple edibles. Actually, one guy even told me he's 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 not a Chabad guy, but he, he lives in a, he lives in a, a large community, a Sephardic community, and he told me that Shabbos for him was always an issue. I mean, he, he wasn't born religious. He became more religious. He and his wife, you know, and they have kids, and he would go to these kiddish clubs. And ultimately, he said he, he got, I got introduced to him. He started taking these edibles. He says he calls me Doctor Shalom Bayit. Because he said his whole shop has changed. Okay, cool. You know, um, so there's lots of that going on, I think. So, right now, what you, uh, I've seen like chocolates that you make mm-hmm. and gummies that you make. Mm-hmm. Any other products? Or those are the two for now? Uh, no, I do um, oil tinctures, um, using MCT oil. Always, always, always whole plant extract. All right, that's always. Um, and like I said before, olive cultivation gives us uh, gives us really good quality material. Um, we do hard candies. We do um, I mean, we do hash, but that's not edibles. Yeah. What about like you call it um, edibles for dummies? Yeah. Can you talk to me about the name uh, for a second, like why it's for dummies? Because it's it's really a parody. Okay. It's really a parody. We're not trying to imitate you know the brand that you know whatever for dummies. Um, I think they actually just came out, funnily enough, I just saw this over the weekend, called Cannabis for Dummies. That's the, like, the legit book that came out with it. It's kind of funny. I don't know if it's a joke or not, but ours is a parody. And it's like, you know, there's been such a stigma attached to marijuana for such a long time that, you know, it's like, don't be a dummy, you know? It's, it's, it's actually better for you than pretty much any other vice. Well, depending. Um, and... You know, it's it, it needed to be something that was going to get people's attention. Um, not so much. We, we know the product is good. It's a good quality product. You know, it's made responsibly. But we need to catch people's attention to give them the story behind it. Because there's way more behind it than just, oh, I'm going to take a couple edibles and get my head blown off. You know what I mean? Or, or go sure. to sleep. Whatever. Okay. And, yes, I was speaking to somebody yesterday. I mentioned that I'm going to do a podcast um, with you. And he was saying... Asking me about the high dosage, some are 50 milligrams. Like why are they, I mean, how, how high do they have to be and do you have lower dosage stuff as well? Okay, right, that's also a good question. Um, that's from my good question list. Okay. No, it wasn't a great question. <laughs> it's a it good was question. Good. Um, no, all these questions are really good. No, because you only, only a few times you say that was good or that was great. The, the rest of the ones, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Right. So, so the, the stuff that's made out in California obviously has to be, you know, conform in compliance with, with their legal limit, which is, you know, 10 milligrams max per piece and 100 milligrams per pack. Um, 
that's working out really interestingly in California because, because we're using the whole plant extract. The high that people get is different. They still get high, but they're like, wow, this is different. We're not just like, you know, high. We, it's, a, it's a different experience. They've experienced uh, different, different feelings, different body feelings, different mind feelings um, just with these with these 10 milligram things, because you're getting the 10 milligrams of THC. But in addition to that, you're getting another couple of milligrams of CBG, CBN, CBC, which are very beneficial. CBC is actually really interesting. Yeah, when I was in Montreal, I used to watch the CBC. <laughs> now we take the CBC. CBC is cannabichromium, which, which is actually has been proven to help in uh, neural pathway regeneration. And I know CBN is for sleep. Or insomnia? CBN is for, it helps with that. And CBG, which I said before, cannabigerol, that's basically the colostrum of, of cannabis. You know, like, I don't know if anyone has had a wife who has nursed a child, but that first milk that comes out is called colostrum, and it's got all the, the major stuff in it. Okay. So that's what she, CBG, all the other cannabinoids develop out of CBG. Got so it. I don't know if that answered even your yeah, question. Yeah, it sure does. Um, any thoughts on making um, cookies or brownies under a brand called Pot Yisrael, or is that already taken? I don't know if you should say this publicly on the podcast. I mean, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I should talk to my guy about that. Okay, but yeah, I would think that's a... <laughs> oh, um, let me just finish the other question. Um, uh, there's two other things I wanted to say. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, the stuff that's like in not in the, and let's call it the gray market, all right, because it's, I guess, been decriminalized. So in the gray market, the reason why it's high milligramage, if it says 50 milligrams on a, on a, on a, for a cube of chocolate, it's, it's 50 milligrams of material, which means that it's because if that material came out at 70% THC and it's testing and it's lab testing, so you have to put a little bit more in, right? So you, you're not, it wasn't, they're not done as 50 milligrams of THC. It's, let's say, 42, 43, 44 you know, milligrams of THC plus all the other additional cannabinoids and terpenes that go with it. Okay, got it. So that's, that's why it's, and I can get away with it. I don't have any sort of limit to yeah. do that. And I would imagine some people can just, if it's too much for them, could cut it up in smaller Absolutely. doses. Absolutely. Or they like the tinctures because it's much more controlled dosing, more right. precise. There's no halachic issue of taking a smaller shear of, of, of edibles, right? Bechlal mosayim mana. Okay, got it. Okay. So, another question. Yeah. You also did chocolate that were kosher for Pesach? Yes, sir. You want to tell me, like, uh, there was, uh, was there a lot of demand for that this year? So, anyway, so I have my problems like this. I had a supplier for chocolate that decided to change their heksher to O-U-D instead of O-U-Parv. So, I had to find chocolate. So, I found chocolate, and I got the usual quantity and made up and whatever. I went. I must have gone through forty over forty pounds of chocolate this this Pesach. Sold out completely. Wow. I mean, Hashem. Were you selling directly to Pesach programs or mainly to the people <laughs> who are at Pesach programs? Um, mainly to people who are at the Pesach programs. Okay, rough life that they're going through. Got to yes. keep it down. Um, another question for me. I always think that the, the biggest concern or danger around edibles is kids because by nature it is candy or chocolate had like when you're thinking about creating the product like what are like what are some of the tips that you have either for parents who are consuming it in their homes or you know just awareness or education around kids first of all you need to be educated yourself as a parent second of all age appropriately educate your kids presuming that you've educated yourself and third, don't be a dummy. You know, put it in a safe place, even if it does have ch you know double child child uh, resistant. You know, it has to be si it has to be child resistant. All, all packaging has to be child resistant. But some some require double. But don't keep it in a place where it's. Uh, I mean, I've I've had horror stories. You know, loyal clients whose uh, you know teenage kids have found it in their closet. You know. And what happens then? Tell me more. <laughs> Um, he calls me up and says, yeah, I just picked up my kid from the, uh, from the emergency room and they're laughing at me. And I'm like, what happened? He tells me, yeah, my kid found the hard candies and thought it was a throat lozenge and got really high and 
At least we know they work. <laughs> okay. And um, for premium subscribers, can we give out the name of who that was? I, I won't give out the I'm name, but, 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 but they, we can give them the same product. Okay. Um, that's great. And then in just in general, yeah. in, like you had mentioned before, kind of your uh, methodology of speaking to your kids about cannabis and marijuana and pot. Uh -huh. uh, you wouldn't mind sh shedding some light on what your uh, approach is with your children? Because um, you work in the industry. Yeah, I think the most important thing, like I said just before, is you have to educate your kids. In order to educate your kids, you yourself have to be educated. So I told my kids very simply, you know, you're, you're in high school or you're coming to the well, end of middle school. High school. Okay. Okay. Um, and they and I said, you're going to be exposed to it. You're going to see it. You'll go to you'll be with friends who will do this. And, you know, I don't know what kind of quality or product that they have. First of all, I would never eat an edible. I told them unless you know where it's being made and that there's a hexture on it. And in terms of smoking, smoking weed, I'll give you the weed. You know, it's like when I was growing up, my father would give you there would always be mashka on the table. You know what I mean? It's like eventually you just look at it. It's like, yeah, it's there. I don't really want it, you know, and. I have that with, you know, with my kids. I mean, half of my kids, they, they, they always had as much as they could possibly want of it available, and they're just not interested. And that's you, fine. Uh, on a personal level, so you say some of, your, some of your kids are inclined to partake and some are not. Right. Do you like the kids who, who smoke more than the kids who don't, or you, <laughs> the, your love for them are, is equal? I, 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 I love the ones who smoke a little bit more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, listen, honesty is, is a virtual, okay? I find them to be more chill, man. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so uh, another uh, question, I want to go off topic for a second. Sure. But since you're here and you sound like a knowledgeable person, and you are a knowledgeable person, I wanted to, um, to ask that. Oh, before I forget. You mentioned that you also have, or you're working on product that is uh, with psychedelics. Yeah. Is that available in California? Is that legal there? Or? It's not legal. It's still considered a Schedule One or Class A drug. Um, I know that it's been made legal in places like Oregon. Okay. Um, I don't know where. I think Florida it's still illegal. Um, but you, I think it's kind of like heading towards that decriminalized state. Because you have a lot of people, especially in the religious communities that I'm aware of, that are doing group shaman sessions, you know, ayahuasca, which I've never done and don't plan on doing it. If I want to puke, I'll just eat something, you know, gross or whatever. Um, I think psilocybin, magic mushrooms is the way to go. I have a friend who told me once, you know, God made grass, man makes booze, you know, trust God. So I think the same thing applies for, for those sorts of things. LSD, even in college, I walked around for two years with, with like three tabs of acid in my pocket, and I never did them because it's like, who wants to go through the cramps and you don't know who the chemist was and you don't know the purity of it. And even now you can get great purity. People say it's great. You can get really good, high-quality stuff. Stick with, the, stick with the stuff that comes out of the ground. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, you know that God made it. You know it's, there's... If you, if you have a, the right guidance, you know, we are doing mushroom chocolates here. And I know that they're working. It's, uh, you know, I have a guy who, who's been growing for 30 years mushrooms. You know? And you said somebody had taken them, the walls were shaking. What was the... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, not everyone's into like getting the whole heroic dose, full journey sort of thing. People just want to do like a micro dose where like, you know sounds and colors become a bit sharper, that, li that little bit sharper. You know, I tried a microdose, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I could see the stomata of the leaves, you know, that was pretty cool, you know. I mean, I wasn't tripping, I wasn't, like, hallucinating, but I could see the stomata, and I could see how they were underneath the leaf, and it was pretty cool, you know. Okay, so uh, we have, we're at 28 minutes, which gives us approximately two more minutes to get to our 30-minute uh, range, and if we go slightly over. So my question is like this. Uh, and I have this conversation with my wife all the time. She is of the opinion that when I take off a pair of pants at the end of the day and put them in my closet, they should go straight from the closet into the laundry room because you wear a pair of pants once, you should wash them. <laughs> and I think that's a crazy concept because, I don't know if I picked this up from Yeshiva or from my father, I think a pair of pants could go for years without getting washed. What do you say? Hell yeah, man. I, it must be a guy that, you know, when Levi Strauss made denim, right, they weren't going to be washing it every day. You know, you wash it, 
you don't even wash it when they when they disintegrate. You know, you, you wear them to like you put them in the wash and they come out disintegrated. You know that you've you've they've used their life and you get another pair of jeans. And do you feel that 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 same logic, yeah, is applicable to both Shabbos pants and weekday pants? Yeah. Meaning yeah. there should be no difference between the two. Are you going to send your kapota to the cleaners every week? Are you kidding me? I'm sure maybe there are people that do who, who do it. I'm not one of those guys. So do you even have, like, a, is it a half a year or a year or you're saying just go for it? No, I mean, Shabbos closes one thing like before Rosh Hashanah, before Pesach, you know, twice a year. Okay, you think twice a year is a good enough time. I, I think before Rosh Hashanah and before Pesach. But that's for Shabbos pants and regular pants? No, unless you stain them or unless they get dirty. What are you what are you washing them for? That's what they're there for. For sure. I mean, I guess they can get a little dirty, but you can brush it off or use that True. old trick with yeah. a bunch of water and a yeah. paper towel. Right. Okay. In general, are you careful between weekday pants and Shabbos pants? Do you, do you, or are you kind of, or, or, or is there cross-breeding I'm more, going on? I'm more particular about my socks and underwear than my pants, you know? Okay. I mean, that's like more of a thing for me. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying you have Shabbos socks, Shabbos underwear. Yeah. Wow. And then... The pants, though, cross over between both of the two. I don't like to use the word crossover. Okay. So <laughs> okay. Interchange. Oh, we can interchange. Um, if they're black jeans, yeah. I mean, I'm a guy. I wear my kapota on Shabbos, you know. Okay, same. So, you know, if, if I don't, if whatever. I'll wear black jeans or I'll wear black pants. I don't care. Yeah. My wife only looks at my shoes, really. Absolutely. She looks at my shoes. If she doesn't like my shoes, then she'll notice the pants. And then if she notices the pants, she'll notice the capote. And if she notices the capote, she'll notice that I didn't iron the shirt before Shabbos. Whatever. Yeah, I don't want to talk about iron shirts. Okay, so as we wrap this up, are there yes, any uh, f parting thoughts that you want to share with anyone where they can find you, how they can find you if they want to get in touch with you? Um, and, and any any parting? First of all, I want to thank you for having me on here. This is This is... And I was I was really happy to sort of like let people know about what's going on. Um, Shabbosparty.com. Okay, and what's there? That go to the site and you'll see. Okay, and you'll, you'll know what to do after that. Okay, and you said you used uh, some uh, uh, artificial intelligence for creating that logo. I tell you what, ChatGPT. That that's something you should get somebody on here to talk about this whole ChatGPT. I just did. Oh yeah. You. Uh, ChatGPT is a wild thing, man. It, it's. <clears throat> This is this is blasphemous almost. We, we said like, take a take a Rashi, or take like someone told me to take like Az Yashir, and write it, you know, on ChatGPT in the form of a poem by John Donne. In that style, I mean, it's like Lahavdo, Lahavdo, poo. We shouldn't say such things, but it was very weird because it does it. Fascinating. This this, this, this AI thing is is gonna it's a game changer. Okay. But they can't grow weed. Okay, that is true. <laughs> Okay, thank you, thank Aaron, you. for being here, and we will speak to you soon. Thank God.